Amen. Let's go to Hebrews 11 tonight. Hebrews 11. Talk about uh, Moses tonight. Hebrews 11. Boy, uh, music tonight. Thank you, choir. Um, when you, that, uh, woof, that last verse, that was so triumphant. Um, looking forward to seeing the Lord. And then that music, uh, um, uh, music, um, music can, uh, so, so this, there's a curse down here. Christ took our curse. Uh, but the, the world is still under a curse. And music, one of the purposes of the, the wrong type of music is to make you comfortable while under the curse. And the right type of music exists to praise the one that delivered you from the curse. And uh, boy, when, when th- that, that music, I feel, I feel so good about God when I listen to that, or whatever it is, I feel whatever. Some music um, makes us feel just fine under the curse. And that's bad. We have no business feeling good under the curse. We want something to remind us that there's a God who delivered us, and we want that deliverance. And we want to go on pleasing him and living for him forever and ever. The right type of music exists to praise the one who offered that deliverance from the curse. And that's what we heard tonight. Uh, Looking forward to being with him, looking forward to honor him. Less of me, more of him. That's the right type of music. Um, and be, be careful about your music diet. Uh, make sure that you, uh, when you listen to that music, it's the right type of music that's doing just that. Uh, Hebrews 11, uh, verse uh, 23, and we'll read 23 through 28. By faith, Moses, when he was born, isn't that interesting? Already at birth, he was doing things by faith. Kind of a, <laughs> a, a, a passive. Uh, we're looking at his parents here. Uh, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid. So his parents were doing the hiding. Was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child. And they were not afraid of the king's commandment. Verse 24, by faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing. Again, mom and dad were able to make decisions, not fearing. And that was passed down to Moses. Not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. Up verse 25, it says, choosing rather. Choosing rather. Now, I'll take that for my title tonight. Choosing rather how to make right choices in this life. Uh, Let's pray. 
Lord, I, I do pray. I, I, I need you. Uh, thank you for these that have come together once again, as was prayed already. Help us to go forth uh, different than the way we came in. Lord, it's so wonderful. I, I think of, again, we heard about those disciples. Uh, Brother Schwenke was here. The disciples on the road to Emmaus, they were discouraged until the Lord Jesus walked with them and, and gave them an Old Testament survey course. What a teacher and what a course expounded all things concerning himself. And at the end, after taking that thri- th- uh, trip through the scriptures with the Lord Jesus, oh, how their hearts burned tonight, Lord. Oh, God up in heaven, would you take a trip through these verses with us? Maybe we can set aside some discouragement, some hurt, maybe some sour spirits. I know there are some that the devil's just got them to the point where they see no good. They see no good. I pray, Lord, you give us some deliverance from those things. God, you're at work. You're still on the throne. You're doing wonderful, mighty things. And sometimes we find ourselves incapable of seeing what you're doing. But I pray, Lord, that as Moses was able to see him who is invisible, and he allowed it to alter his life, help us with that as well. Meet with us tonight. Oh, God, we'll thank you for it. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Choosing rather. How to make right choices in our lives. Now, some people have said that to some degree, our life is the sum total of the choices that we have made. And uh, of course, there's more to our existence than just the choices we make. There is some validity to that idea. Choices really do matter. Decisions that we make today can affect today and then project out into the rest of our lives and in some cases on into eternity. The choices that Moses' parents made affected him and then the nation of Israel. The decisions we make make a big difference in the lives that we live. Delight. We like to pursue delight in this life. My dad, you ever wonder like the phrases your, your parents used, if they're actual phrases or they made them up? And I, I'm guilty, I'm sure. My kids are like, there has to be several of the things dad says at our house that no one else on this earth uses. One of the things my dad used to say was he'd come home and say, dear, what Epicurean lights do you have for us tonight? <laughs> Delight. We, we like to, to follow after delight. He was asking, what, what wonderful things do you have for dinner tonight? Of course, I was a little curious about that. I want to look up Epicurean. Is that a thing? Epicurean delights? Of course, I came to college and I learned about the Epicureans and the Stoics and all of that. Uh, but, but, I mean, is that a modern day usage? Epicurean delights? And, and, and newspapers will use that. There was a newspaper. Her sandwiches included such Epicurean delights as liverwurst. And jelly. So that was fine dining for somebody. But I'm not, I'm not quite there. If I'm in the lunchroom tomorrow and they're like, would you like liverwurst on your sandwich? I'm like, I don't think so. 
another time in the news, uh, the only way to be sure to seek out the Epicurean delights of the luxury sandwich, and then it went on the news article. This other news article said, uh, be warned, not all buffets are Epicurean delights. Some just provide ballast. (laughs) That was interesting. Of course, you could dig into the etymological roots of Epicureanism and discovered it was a system of philosophy founded around 370 C based upon the teaching of the ancient Greek philosopher Epicurus. It was a form of hedonism, living for the pleasures of the here and now. Of course, my dad was referring to all that. <laughs> Getting to a debate whether our meal should be more stoic or Epicurean, I think he was just saying, Hun, I'm looking forward to the delights that you're going to place on the table for us tonight. We like to pursue delightful things in this life, and and that's not a bad thing. Sometimes we just need to re-examine what things truly are delightful. The Bible says in Psalm 34 or 37, verses 4 through 5, delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee desires of thine heart. Sometimes we say, I just, I can't risk it. I'm gonna, I, I know that will bring me delight, but I think even in our passage tonight, what, what pleasure for sin in a season? How long will that delight last? And is it truly delightful? It goes on, commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. So delighting in the Lord. Here in Psalm 1-2, it says, uh, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. His delight is in the law of the Lord. Kind of a funny thought, huh? Who, who would delight in the law? Uh, but, again, the law, that's just the rules. His, his law is the rules of this life. And tonight we're going to play basketball. And we're going to want the rules to be kept. If, there's, if you have no rules, you have no game. The rule says that that guy can't, can't just dribble out of the gym and they're, they're you know, chasing him through the parking lot. Like, ah, let's play without rules. As soon as you have no rules, you have no game. Rules is what makes the game. And the game's going to be, well, until we're winded and pull something. Exciting. And in this life, the rules of this life is just knowing the rules that allow us to enjoy this, not a game, but this thing we called life. Rules can be wonderful. There's rules And when you understand God sets the rules that allow us to have the life that's wonderful, you can delight. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. He is so excited about the rules that he meditates in them day and night. Oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you for giving me the rule book so I can know how to successfully navigate life. Proverbs 30, uh, Psalm 37, 11 says, But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. We like to follow after delight. It's just sometimes we need to really sit down and, dis- and, and study out what things truly are delightful. Here in our passage, Moses had two pathways before him. The Bible describes the one as suffering and affliction. And the other as having some enjoyment and pleasure. And without a 
close examination, boy, we would say, well, the, the, you know, the one with the enjoyment and pleasure, that's the life for me. So why did Moses choose the other? Well, because after closer examination, there was more than met the physical eye. Let's look at seven things that helped Moses make the right decisions here. Hebrews 11, uh, verse, uh, verse 23 there, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents. Because they saw he was a proper child, they were not afraid of the king's commandments. Uh, he, he had parents who saw their child was special. And by the way, parents, every child is special. Do you see that? They saw their child was special and refused to turn him over to the will of their government. Uh Uh-oh, sounds familiar. Which in this case was very destructive. The will of the government was for them to take Moses and toss him into the Nile. Unfortunately, the will of our government borders on destruction as well, often. How many millions are we throwing in the Nile of abortion? Nowadays, uh, uh, pushing the, the darkest fantasies. Am I a boy or a girl? Perverted adults pushing godlessness on little kids. That's sick. It's gross. It's a disgrace. It's disgusting. Moses' parents hid him from the will of the government in the area where it was destructive and wicked which I love our Christian school. In many ways, that's a chance for us to hide our children from the will of the government pushing so much godlessness where we can protect from that in our Christian school. We can hide our children from that as well. Evolution. Oh, you don't have a creator. Evolution, that alternate religion, humanism. Boy, in Moses' day, they had all their gods The government wanted to push those false gods, and so does our government. Our government has its fair share of false gods that it's pushing. But just like God can humiliate the gods back in Moses' day, he can today as well. Amram and Jochebed were made out of the stuff that martyrs are made of. We might get in trouble, but it doesn't matter. We're going to do what's right by our children. Their faith drove out their fear, and they were able to protect their son against the, 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 the king's decree. And here was faith. It probably, uh, prob- back in Genesis 15, there was a promise that the, the time of captivity would end. And if they knew the promises of God and were living by faith based on those promises, they would realize, I think we're coming to the end. I think we're coming to the end. It wasn't just faith that God is wonderful, but it was also faith that God is wonderful on top of that. And we have his word that this will come to an end. Oh, the hope that they could enjoy. Listen to this. Uh, Genesis 15, way back when, uh, verses 13 through 16. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and shall and they shall afflict them for hundred years. And also that nation whom they will serve will I judge, and afterward they will come out with great substance. 
if they took time to know God's word, they had great things to look forward to, even in captivity. And it doesn't matter how bad your life gets. If you take time to know the book and search out his promises, you can live in hope because God always keeps his promises. Here's Amram and Jochebed realizing, oh my, God keeps his promises. I think we're coming to the end. It said, it goes on here, and thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age, but in the fourth generation they shall come out hither again. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. So if they're doing their math, they're thinking, okay, what's a generation in the fourth generation? We're coming, we're nearing the end. And by faith, they took hold in the promises of God. Are you living a discouraged life? Do what Amram and Jochebed did. Get in the book, find a promise, and say, Lord, I I love you. Thank you. And go forward in hope and faith. It's good to know the promises of God and cling to them. That's faith. And we need faith. The Bible says the fear of man brings a snare, doesn't it? They were able to escape the fear of Pharaoh. The snare that would have locked them into destroying their children. The fear of man bringeth a snare. But faith came in and pushed the fear out. What a blessing. All right, so seven things that allowed Moses to make a right decision. First of all, I see refusal. Refusal. There in verse 24, the Bible says, By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Refusal. The Bible talks about when he came to years, uh, the idea here, he he had matured in wisdom and might, and he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And you might say, wait a minute. Uh, In some ways, he owed her his life. Doesn't that mean he had some obligations to what he represented? Some allegiance? Exodus 2, verses 5 and 6. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river, and her maidens walked along by the river's side. And when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the babe wept. And she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. What? How could he refuse to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter? I thought he owed her something. I wonder if he was ever tempted to go along with the flow. Until, you know what, I'm just going to blend in until I have enough power and influence in this world. And then, I'm going to use that power and influence for good. I don't know, I'm, I'm sure it crossed his mind. But the problem with aiming at power and influence with this world is you're not aimed at power from on high. And influence in prayer. You're headed the wrong direction. And when you're headed the wrong direction, you never end up where you're supposed to be. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He gave up position in this world. 
Boy, the education he knew, the fame, the wealth, the duty, the purpose, the royalty. As a prince of Egypt, he turned his back on that. Later, we'll see that he turned his back on the world's view of pleasure and the the world's view of prosperity. Position and pleasure and prosperity. He turned his back on each of these and it reminds us of the lusts of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Again, we mentioned it this morning, but the desire to have what pleases me, he was able to turn his back on that if it dishonored God. The desire to be like the Most High The same temptation that the devil had. We we want to sit on the throne of our own lives. The desire to do what I have no business doing when I'm a child of the king. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Not the best of both worlds. It's the one or the other. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Choosing rather. Choosing rather. He that doeth the will of God. Choosing rather. Did he owe Pharaoh's daughter? Wasn't she the one who rescued him? No. God orchestrated all of that. God was the one that decided he would live. And ultimately it was God to whom he owed all of his allegiance. Acts 7.25, and we'll look at that in a little bit. He had some knowledge that God was going to use him in a special way in the deliverance of the Egyptians. God had plans for him. And when God had plans for you, his plans supersede all others. When he found out God had plans for him, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I'm going to be a child of the king instead. What he wants from me is all that matters. Friend, God has plans for you. And his plans supersede everything else. We could even think of Paul in the New Testament. Paul was given lots of training in the thinking of this world, but he held no allegiance to this world. He, he says in Philippians uh, 3, 4 through 7, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he ought, whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law blameless, but that... But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Boy, he, he had received so much training from this world. Did he find, did he think he had an obligation to what this world wanted? There in Acts 9, when he came face to uh, face with the Lord Jesus, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he trembled and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? What God wanted superseded everything else. 
I don't know, sometimes we may think, oh, well, I, I, I owe the world for this or that. We don't owe the world anything. Anything good in your life ultimately comes from the source of all good. Almighty God says so, James 1.17, Every good and perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. We see the refusal. But then there was some reasoning. Reasoning in verse 25. Choosing rather to suffer affliction. Wait, why? Why? And it wasn't just because, oh, just to hurt myself. I'm taking the whip and... No, 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 no. He, He thought it through. And that path was better. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. There was some reasoning here. He thought it through. Sure, there might be a little bit of pleasure in this low, earthly, sinful thing, but that doesn't last. He wouldn't have known, First John, where it says, He that doeth the will of God abideth forever, that this world pass away, and the lust thereof, it passes away. There was some reasoning. And he said, listen, I'm going to suffer affliction with the people of God. It's better on that path. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. There were two groups of people, weren't there? Those who seemed to have it all together. Egypt, the height of civilization. So worldly wise. Seeming to be in charge and having the best of this life. And Moses was able to see through it all, through faith. Those who seemed to be doing so well down here and those who didn't seem to be doing as well But it was obvious that they were the people of God. The path of affliction called to him because he felt a connection to the others on that path. Even though they were poor and afflicted, there was something narrow about that path and something dangerous about the broad path he had been on. Which group of people do you feel a connection to tonight? Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. If those doors are open, I want to be here with the people of God. Boy, I, I think young people, I, I, I was young once too, I know. There's the temptation to go to the world and say... I'm not so different from you. I'm not so different from you. Can't you see? I'm not so... Living that life where Jesus says, follow me. That means you're turned toward Christ, not turned from Christ, explaining to the world how like them you are. How easy it is for you to blend in. How comfortable you are with their thinking. That's not what this world needs. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. 
Not facing the world saying, don't you see? I'm not so different from you. But turning instead to the cross. Falling in love with Jesus. And inviting them to fall in love with you. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father. If you're turning to them and saying, I'm, there's no glorifying of your Father when you obviously crave what they have. And you look down upon what you have in Christ. Letting your light so shine before men is glorifying your Father. And there's something different. How are they so happy? Letting your light shine so that they glorify your Father which is in heaven. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. Matthew 16, 24 and 25. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever shall save his life shall lose it. And whosoever shall lose his life for my sake shall find it. Moses, there was some reasoning. He was able to figure out some of these things. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. To suffer ill treatment with God's people was going to be far better than to enjoy the pleasures of this world with the people of this world. Someone sent me the quote today and I thought it would fit well here. The future of this world has long been declared. The final outcome between good and evil is already known. There is absolutely no question as to who wins because the victory has already been posted on the scoreboard. The only strange thing in all of this is why we are still down here on the field trying to decide which team's jersey we want to wear. The reasoning. The pleasures of sin. Wrong choices yield some pleasure. But that pleasure is limited. Only for a season. Many times resulting in ongoing regret. With right choices, there may be sacrifice and suffering, but the benefits are enduring and the rewards eternal. The world has its delights, and boy, does it push its delights. And it took faith for Moses to be able to turn from the world's delights to choose affliction with God's people. But he did, and God blessed. Here was a man justified by faith. The refusal, the reasoning, and then the reproach. The reproach. Beginning of verse 26, it says, He esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches. To suffer with Christ, to know the shame with Christ, there's something more precious there than anything this world has to offer. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches. The choosing rather became an esteeming 
Moses purposefully ignored the wealth and pleasure of Egypt to lock his gaze consistently and exclusively on the coming Christ. Esteeming the reproach of Christ. You're like, you're like wait a minute, he's way back in the Old Testament. How do you know about Christ? How would he know about the reproach of Christ? And he would esteem that better. He got to see, in his own special way, he got to see the coming Christ in ways that we can't fully appreciate. Just like Abraham, we can go back. and He saw Jesus' day and rejoiced and was glad when he went up on that mount with his son and he saw the substitutionary atonement. In that special way, a father's heart was ripped in half when he said, okay, I will sacrifice my son because it's necessary. And before he killed his little boy, God said, stop. But when Jesus was on the cross, there was no voice from heaven before he died that said, stop. Far before Jesus came, Abraham got to see the coming Christ in a very special way. We think we have all the advantage because we get to look back. He's already come, but I think in some ways looking forward in some of the very powerful times. What did Moses get to see? He was there. That night when the destroyer was coming through and taking the lives of all the firstborn in the homes that didn't have the blood over the doorposts. He experienced the power of the Passover lamb. Yes, we look back and we see the true Passover lamb, the Lord Jesus, and it's wonderful, but in some ways he saw it more vividly from that direction. He got to see the the reproach of the coming Christ and he chose that, esteeming the reproach of Christ. We think of uh, Moses there when the serpents in, in Numbers 21 were biting the Israelites. And God said, raise up a cross and put a raisin serpent on there. And if they'll look, they will live. He got to experience that. We sing about it. Look and live, my brother, live. Look to... Do we have all the advantages? I think they had some powerful advantages way back then. Going through that time and seeing the coming Christ. He could see the coming Christ. And he understood there was a reproach. And I want in. Esteeming the reproach of Christ's greater riches and treasures of Egypt. Jesus talked about the serpent in the wilderness there in John 3, 14 and 15. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. He could see the coming Christ and the reproach that was around him. And he valued that reproach as greater riches. What excuse do we have looking back on Christ and the temptation to turn our backs on the reproach of our Savior? Oh, the prosperity at the fingertips of Moses. Riches beyond the dreams of avarice were offered to him. Through the years, it continues to amaze archaeologists as they unearth the wealth in the ancient tombs and pyramids of of Egypt. But by faith, 
Moses was able to trade the temporal for the eternal. How many Christians have a bit of Esau in us, willing to trade away the eternal for a bowl of the world's soup right now? The writer of Hebrews knew that his readers looked and saw two paths in front of them. And the world does have a way of making its path seem far better, but the discerning man knows there is more than meets that physical eye. Boy, that altered value system. When you can esteem the reproach of Christ's greater riches, it will show up in your life. You'll get in the book. Lord, I, I want those promises. I want to search out those promises. By faith, he, by faith means he knew what God wanted. And he risked everything on it. And in the end, there was no risk at all. If you have that valued system alteration, you'll read your Bible. You'll be in, you'll be in church. Instead of, oh, I'm here. Man, everyone else gets an extra day off. And here I am in church. Here I am in church. We hear that on the bus routes, don't we? It's like, ah, Sunday's the one day to catch up on everything. I, I can't waste it in God's house. And Sometimes do we ever think, oh, that would be kind of nice. Yes, we do. (laughs) But so quickly we say, oh, Lord, I wouldn't trade anything. My altered value system, giving to God my time, my talents, my treasures, ministries. I have to get out there. I want to tell them. I want to esteem the reproach of Christ greater riches than anything this world has to offer. That's what keeps us going. The reproach. We see the refusal and the reasoning and the reproach. Next I see respect. In verse 26 there, it said, He had respect unto the recompense of the reward. He had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Uh, eternity isn't just a merit system. It's like, well, God offers me this. And, and sometimes it's, well, what do you have to offer? And then, and then what does the world have to offer? Let's see which one, which one seems better. It's not who has what to offer. It's who's doing the offering. Can I say that again? It's not who has what to offer. It's who's doing the offering. And can I just tell you when, oh, I don't know, the devil's offering this. Can you do a little bit better, God? Oh, come on, I think you do a little better. He's offering this. A little counter offer. It's not what's being offered. It's who's doing the offering. The devil, anything he's offering, is full of lies and emptiness. And anything God offers is way better than anything we could imagine. He had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith, we can please God. It's good to remember that Moses' decision was not a rash decision of youth. Earlier, it said that he esteemed the reproach of Christ's greater riches. He really thought it through and ended up with a respect for the value of eternal rewards. 
He knew what he was doing. And he knew the life for God was far more rewarding. Besides Pharaoh, who might have been the richest Egyptian? And where is he today? Besides Pharaoh, who would have been the most, power, the most powerful Egyptian? And where is he today? Respect. There's so little respect for what God has to offer nowadays. Boy, outside of, of this church, far too many couldn't care less what God is offering. And a lot of times, we, we can even read that verse, Hebrews 11.6, how that, that, that God is, is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. He offers a reward for you to diligently seek Him. And how many of us read that verse and, hmm, good to keep in mind. Why doesn't that verse drive us to diligently seek Him? I think there's a missing respect for the recompense of the reward. Then I see the reward itself. There in verse 26, He had recompense, He had respect unto the recompense of the reward. What God has to offer is far better. By faith, you and I can please God. Revelation 4 reminds us that's why we exist. Boy, the world at Moses' fingertips. In some ways, he was similar to Solomon. Solomon had everything this world had to offer at his fingertips. But, while Solomon tried to engorge on this world's pleasure and ended up writing a whole book, on why it only ended up in agonizing emptiness. Moses did not make the same mistake of drinking deeply from the world's cup. He saw a better cup, the cup of Christ, and drank from that instead. One commentator said this, Moses was the man who gave up all earthly glory for the sake of the people of God. Christ gave up his glory for men. He became despised and rejected. He abandoned the glory of heaven for the buffets and the scourging and the shame inflicted by men. Moses in his day and generation shared in the sufferings of Christ. Moses was the man who chose the loyalty that led to suffering rather than the ease which led to earthly glory. He would rather suffer for the right than to enjoy the luxury with the wrong. He knew the prizes of earth were contemptible compared with the ultimate rewards of God. Oh my. Do you see how thinking these things through can help you make right choices in life? The refusal, the, the reasoning, the reproach, the respect, the reward. And then there was a rejection. In verse 27, the first part it says, By faith... He forsook Moses, forsook Egypt, sorry. By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. Boy, not fearing the wrath of the king. He he rejected Egypt. Those ancient kings were capable of terrible punishments. If you defied them, (laughs) they could have you killed or tortured. Surely this would have played with Moses' mind. 
And again, uh, this is kind of interesting. I, I, I studied this out a little bit. It says, not fearing the wrath of the king. I, I thought he did fear the wrath of the king. So let's look at that for just a minute. In Exodus 2, verses 13 through 15, um, uh, when he went out the second day, behold, two men of the Hebrews strove together. He said to him that did the wrong, Wherefore smitest thou thy feather, uh, fellow? And he said, Who made thee a prince and a, a judge over us? Intendest thou to kill me as thou killedst the Egyptian? And Moses feared and said, Surely this thing is known. Now when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses, and Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Boy, when you read that, you think it sure seems like he, he feared the wrath of the king. <laughs> and the verse says, by faith he forsook Moses, or Egypt, not Moses. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. And, and one commentator said, well, he, he left Egypt twice. He forsook it. It's talking about the second time when he rejected it and led the people out. And that's entirely possible. I think, uh, uh, for sure, there's no contradiction. <laughs> um, it, there was some fear there, but it could have been it wasn't the wrath of the king that caused him to take off. He had a desire to rescue the people, and as he started to implement his plans, things went sideways super fast. And it could have been that that's what he feared. Um, now, I mentioned I would, I would look at this, but in Acts seven twenty three through 25, when he was a full 40 years old, it came into his heart... This is Acts 7. To visit his brethren, the children of the king, and seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him and avenged him that was oppressed and smote the Egyptian, for he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand, again, he supposed that his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them, but they understood not. It seems like, boy, he sets to motion. I'm going to be a deliverer. I'm going to do this. And then maybe the the people of Israel will will rise up behind me. And we'll have a great revolution. And God will pour out his blessing. And and Israelite is like, what, are you going to kill me too? And he's thinking, oh, things aren't going the way I hoped. The way I planned. And there there was no, the people uh, understood not what he was doing. And and they were against him. And it seems like he was a man stuck between uh, Egypt and Israel. And and then Pharaoh comes to slay him and he has to get out of there. It seems like that might be what the Bible's teaching us here. The lesson for us in this, doing what God wants, but doing it our own way, often ends up in problems Do what God wants, but be careful to do it His way. One way or the other, the Bible says He forsook Egypt. He turned His back on Egypt. He was singing that song. Of course, looking forward to the cross, but the world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. No turning back, no turning back. It could have been the fear of the right king took over. Because God has wrath. He feared not the wrath of the king, maybe because he feared the wrath of the right king. Remember the Bible says in John three thirty six, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. 
And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. It does us good to remember the right king has wrath as well. Romans 1, 17 and 18. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. There was a rejection. But then there was a resolve. In verse 27, middle part there. He endured. He endured as seeing him who is invisible. Having his eyes in the right place allowed him to keep going. Having his eyes in the right place allowed him to keep going. Can you imagine? I, uh, plague after plague, right? Um, the first plague. And it seems like, okay, good. <laughs> We're going we're gonna to take off. We're out of here. And then the king's like, ah, never mind. You have to stay. <sighs> Kept his eyes in the right place. Plague number two. <laughs> Surely he'll let us go now. Like, ah, nope, you have to stay. <laughs> Keeping his eyes in the right place, let him keep going. Plague number three. Oh my, how much are you going to put your, your nation through to defy God? Surely now you'll let us go. Now we'll keep you. (laughs) What in the world? Keeping his eyes in the right place helped him to keep going. Plague number four. Plague number five. Plague number six. Egypt is getting devastated. Do you remember the plagues? Egypt is getting devastated. And the king's heart is only getting harder. It's going the wrong direction. It's like, Lord, I, I know you're keeping track of all this, but his heart is only getting harder and harder. It seems like he's even more opposed to letting us go than when we first started. Are you sure you know what you're doing? But keeping his eyes in the right place allowed him to keep going. Finally, after that tenth play, they were able to go, and even then, Egypt came after them. But keeping his eyes in the right place helped him to keep going. He endured as seeing him who was invisible. Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkle of blood, the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. He kept in mind, I, I've seen that destroyer at work. I want to be on the right side of what God is doing. I've heard the wails when the destroyer comes in the homes that are set up against God. I want to be on the right side of what God is doing. Keeping his eyes where they belonged helped him to keep going. By the way, the, the devil came to Eve and said, ye shall be as gods. But I'm sure that tempted him as too. It seems like he would have had a chance at the very throne of Egypt. He would have been regarded as a god. Did he? It seems like he had a decent chance and he would have been regarded as the incarnation of Ra. Not, not our Ra. Ra, the sun god. And Moses, he was human. Can you see him imagining himself on that throne? Uh, I could be on that throne. Uh, what could I do from that throne? 
He had a chance at that throne. He turned his back on that. Instead of viewing on the throne he could be on, he had a good view of the throne of everything and who sat there. And keeping his eyes where they belonged helped him to keep going. The Bible says that he saw him who is invisible. Isn't that fun? To see him who is invisible. Um, there were all those times, again, we, someday we can talk to Moses. It's like, what was it like? You're up in the mountain. On the other side of all the storms and the lightning and all that. What was it like up there? Seeing different manifestations of the glory of God. What did you see? In his life he saw him who is invisible. There at the burning bush. Talking to a burning bush. I was talking to a nut this morning. But talking to a burning bush and the voice of God coming out. Seeing him who is invisible. Hearing the voice of God. Did you know you can also hear the voice of God? When you get in the book. You can see him who is invisible. The eyes of faith. And faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. Seeing him who is invisible. Uh, I love the story in 2 Kings 6, 17. When Elisha comes out. You know, you can just, it's, it's early in the morning. And the, the enemy army has surrounded him. They're going to capture him. And take him back. I just see him come out, you know, stretch. <laughs> And the servant, the servant looks around and says, Oh no, we're surrounded. And he's like, Oh, but little do they know they're surrounded. And he prayed that prayer in 2 Kings 6 17. Oh God, open his eyes. You know, God wants to open our eyes. So that we can see him as invisible. See God at work. In our lives around us. And in our everyday ventures. He kept the Passover. I see great humility and dependence here. He kept the Passover by faith the Bible says. He was considered by some the greatest human being alive. I would imagine. He had just humbled the most mighty nation on earth. I think when you humble the most not, the mighty nation on earth, that, that places you near the top of something. He was seen as the savior of Israel. But the question is, did he really humble the most mighty nation on earth? Or did God? And was he the savior of Israel? Or was God? Well, he was able to keep himself in context. And by faith, he kept the Passover, humbling himself, realizing that he too needed the sheltering power of the blood as much as anybody else. Boy, the reproach of Christ. We sang this song tonight. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. In the grand scheme of things, it won't be long. And I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. 
When he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land. What a day. Glorious day. That will be. Choosing rather. Joshua said in Joshua 24, 15. If it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of the Amorites which your fathers served, which were on the other side of the flood, or the, uh, the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Choose you this day. Moses, choosing rather, remembering these things allowed him to make right choices. And you, remembering the same things, can make right choices as well.